Russell T here, Russell the Davis. <laughs> Funny. Become the Doctor, I'm a Time Lord and I could have a catchphrase. I could have a great catchphrase like, my catchphrase could be kill Dommage. Like, kill Dommage, like kill Dommage Davros. Like, and I could like, instead of like having a sonic screwdriver, I could have like, boom, come out my eyes. about years and years. Episode 1, 2019 to 2024. So, RTD, Russell T Davies, Russell the Davies, the man who bought Doctor Who back in 2005 and ran it through the Eccleston Tenant years. This is his newest show, Years and Years. We start in 2019. What will life be like? What will it be like in 10 years' time, five years' time? And the action zooms forward to five years' time, to 2024. And then every week we zoom forward another year and we see them surviving the politics, the economy, the changes, just as we are doing now. It's a metaphor for now, how we all survive in the world now, but told through a family saga. In fact, it's the only show any Doctor Who runner is managing to create this year at all. The first episode covered... This year, 2019 to 2024, the last year of the projected Trump term it predicted. It really kicks off in 2024, which would be the end of Trump's second presidency anyway, which I'm quite sure is going to happen. What did we all think? I thought it was very inimically RTD. Yes. Like, it bore his imprint all over it in every single aspect. And for better or worse, it's something that only he would ever write, which is not what you can ask for, really. Very much so. Yeah, in that vein, when I watched it, it's kind of like there weren't any surprises to me. It was sort of what I expect a Russell script to be like, except in that I was perfectly happy with it. Yeah. In terms of surprises, and this is very RTD again, I didn't even notice that Rosie, the youngest sibling of the family, was in a wheelchair until like a bit over halfway through the episode when she's on the date with that single dad. We're all thinking of the same scene, aren't we? <laughs> it's very RTD how um, naturalistically he does characters with different impairments and different sexualities and all that. It just feels very natural. What did you think of the aspects of the years it had in the future? This seems to be quite a fevered time. So it's trying to capture that, it's trying to guess where we're going. But it's not about the accuracy of the guesses, it's about how we survive. Things like the second term for Trump, or the headline about Doris Day, it edited into the episode at the 11th hour, or the little futuristic touches. I didn't notice anything about the 11th hour. I did notice some bits from Deep Breath. Very funny. Which uh, Deep Breath bits are you talking about? Oh, there's the part where uh, the mother keeps saying, I'm right here standing in front of you, while her daughter is wearing that horrifying filter mask. Yeah. With the, the Snapchat filter mask, it kind of, it gave me the impression of like, this is what like boomers think Snapchat is actually like. That's kind of the vibe I got from it. It's all that twisted interpretation of something. Uh, you're not off because I'm a bit of a boomer and I think that's what Snapchat is like, so <laughs> spot on. <laughs> yeah, I picked that up from some other stuff in this show. And I mean, there is that YouTube thing now that's sort of like that, another face faking things but it was really visually upsetting yeah i thought it was not too out of touch i don't think augmented reality filters like that are too crazy of a direction to take snapchat even if the actual dialogue russell writes around it is very boomerish did you notice in the montage of the birthdays you saw a more older version of the filter thing that bethany was wearing on her face in the first winter feast i thought it was cool how we saw the technology develop i did yeah yeah i did notice that at the time i thought that it was 
you know, I'd think we'd be wearing. I think what made it truly creepy was the infantilization aspect. The fact that she was like, like she was talking like a baby, basically. Yeah. That, that creeped the hell out of me. It was a bit toclophane, actually, wasn't it? It was a yeah, bit very. Yeah. Good, good catch. Another thing, you mentioned the montage, and this is perfectly RTD, is that the solemnity of the Queen's death is in itself a comedy beat because it interrupts that peppy upbeat montage with the funeral i thought it was super telling that it was the grandma who was shown like mourning the queen and yeah. so it focused on her specifically like she, she's the generation who would still care about that well that, that was quite interesting it's very well done i like that and in that montage um you sort of barely even see the grandma outside of her reacting to things that are happening on TV, like first Trump's second term and then the queen dying, or the other way around. Yeah. Which is weird how you see the older character sort of uh, re related to the TV, whereas, like, normally you, that would typically be associated with, like, the younger generation. Yeah, you saw Rory Kinnear's family didn't even have a TV, he said yeah. uh, later on. I thought that was interesting, but they had what they called a vision that they watched Guardians 4 on, which I assume is, I've seen this talked about sometimes where studios are thinking, what if when a movie came out in theaters, we let people rent it for like $200 or something to have like four hours to watch mm -hmm. it in their own house. So I thought that was a neat little touch because TVs are being used less by our younger people, definitely. Yeah. The impression I got of, of the vision was that it, since it seems like it's something that you need to sort of reserve ahead of time, I was thinking, Oh, well, that must obviously be their uh, VR rig. Yeah, the first thing I thought when I heard it was like holodeck, red dwarf sort of thing. Yeah, they can only afford, you know, one room with room for only like two or three people in it. Yeah. Admittedly, when I heard that the two sort of teenagers were like reserved it for several hours, like my thoughts went to a, a concerned place. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me, is Clyde her gay best friend or her bisexual boyfriend? The latter, I think. I can see that. The bit that he had, the, uh, the line about Daddy Pratt can have it whenever he wants <laughs> was funny, but I also felt this weird cognitive dissonance. I'm not sure if the joke is supposed to be that in the future people will refer to Chris Pratt that way, because people were referring to Chris Pratt that way in 2014. And it's just going to get worse as time goes by. It's going to end up like David Harbour. I thought it was more that Rory Kinnear and the general were just kind of amused or confused by how open the boyfriend was about, you know, describing his lust for the man. That is Chris Pratt. Yeah. I think they pointed out that he was like 13 years old. I think they were sort of expressing that kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe how sexualized the youth are now. It's really, the world's going to the dogs. Their future is a fucking nightmare. They're porn classes. It's the porn classes. Oh yeah, yeah. I think there were two things. There was, um, they mentioned a sex fighting class at one point and then later yeah, they on did. they mentioned the porn I class as well. sex fighting. Saturday makes sense because you won't be rushing off and Ruby's at a sex fighting class so the three of us can sit down together and have a nice long chat. Isn't that right, Beth? Ruby's been telling us about her porn class. What? No way, seriously, you <laughs> no. don't actually have porn class. No, it's called sexual awareness, image and control. Well, Yeah, that, they didn't explain that first one. It was very weird. That's why the younger daughter was out of the house on Saturday when Bethany wanted to talk to her parents. <laughs> she had a sex fighting I class. That. I wonder if Russell gets these ideas from like conversations with Moffat. Like Moffat just casually brings up the idea of a <laughs> fighting class and yeah. Russell absolutely horrified. It sounds like he's getting half of these ideas from 
crazy people on Facebook complaining about, you know, oh, do you hear what they're having our kids do next year? Like, this feels like... Do any of you know what the common core is? Yeah. In American education, yeah. I don't Yeah, this know. feels like common core panic. Could you uh, explain what it is? God, no. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I graduated in 2006. I got into my head, I couldn't tell you what the common core is. So I think the gist of it is just, it's basically just like a modern way of doing like math and stuff, isn't it? That yeah. the boomer generation doesn't understand. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of uh, friends who are parents or friends who have young parents, they are trying to follow it and it makes them lose their shit in the most hilarious ways. And I could see somebody seeing the Common Core and thinking about how it might apply to sexual education and coming up with porn classes. I didn't get the sense the porn classes were like being reviled by Russell or anything. I think the older generation no, was, yeah. you know, having a laugh but at it. certainly presented as something to be provocative and shocking. To yeah, ab- absolutely. Real world audience, yeah. What I thought was really interesting with that dialogue was uh, possibly the most self-aware moment of the episode when the daughter was talking about the stereotype that uh, Toby fit into yeah. about the... <laughs> You're on the list. Category 15, middle-aged gay male, likely to mock boundaries and force sexual references into my orbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bang on, I'd say. <laughs> That was one of the many things that sort of put together a thing I've been working out about Russell Tovey and uh, Davy's use of him in this and in Doctor Who. I haven't seen any of much of Davy's other works, so I can't really say for sure how common this theme is, but I realized, oh, so this is what a Davy's self-insert is like. Self-insert's a very interesting term to use for what Russell T. Davies thinks of him, yeah. Um, you know how people always complain about uh, how all Moffat heroes are basically Moffat, but still a teacher, or Moffat, but a time traveler, Moffat, but a private detective. And uh, I finally see, okay, so this is what the Davies version of that is. I did get that sense that Davies was maybe giving Russell Tovey's character some of those things that, you know, RTD maybe would have said in that situation. Like yeah. like the whole sort of lecturing the, you know, Brexiteer, kind of lecturing the yeah. husband about the flat yeah. earth and stuff. I don't know if that necessarily verges on self-insert, well, but like, there's a bit of that in there, surely. Tovey outlines the whole series when he's holding uh, Rosie's second baby and he says, oh, what's the future going to be like? We've got fake news and false facts. I don't even know what's true anymore. What sort of world are we in? <laughs> Because if it's this bad now, what's it going to be like for you? You know, there's all these fake facts and things. How can you bring kids in this world? What's going to change? Like, that that was in the trailer because that feels like the brief for the whole series. So I definitely yeah. see the author insert. And don't even stop me on ISIS. <laughs> and the bit, the bit later on where he's yelling at his husband about him being a truther is also very much presented as... And the scene that follows that where he's complaining about how people are getting stupider. Yeah. Yeah, that whole conversation between Russell Tovey and Rory Kinder. So especially, I think, Daniel and Stephen, I think their names are. That whole conversation between them about how humanity is going backwards and stuff. That was very, like, those two were kind of like the, the bastion of sanity in this crazy world, wasn't it? weren't they? Yeah. That's kind of the impression I got. Now, if you teach children, please don't say the world is flat. I'm not saying it is. I'm just keeping an open mind. 
But I think because it was done, all that like flat earth stuff was done with what I thought was like such precision. It avoided from feeling like those characters were sort of, oh, everyone around me is stupid and I'm enlightened. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I thought it was really um, taste- tastefully done. It rang very true to me, that conversation. That's, it was, um, I thought, I find it even more disturbing than the big climactic nuke thing, that conversation between Toby yeah. and his husband about the flat earth stuff, just because yeah. I've had so many conversations like that when it turns into a thing about how you're prescribing the truth, even though it is an actual outside truth that then they're contextualizing in like personal social terms. Subjective terms. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm not saying I'm absolutely right, okay, which means you can't say I'm absolutely wrong. Except you're never going to stop, are you? God help anyone trying to contradict you. I'm not saying I'm absolutely right, which means you can't say I'm absolutely wrong. Yeah, yeah. That might have been my favorite line <laughs> of the thing. Yeah. It's Zoom is, you know, you if you don't grow up with being part of an event or an event being in your orbit, it's so much easier to disassociate. That's why, you know, the rise of so much neo-Nazi stuff is the more the elderly die off, the less actual reality those times have for people. Yeah, we even see that at the end where uh, the grandmother, who would of course be the only one who actually lived through, I was going to say Blitz, but I don't actually know if that math lines up, but did live through the Cold War uh, and has memories of that, is the one who's least panicky. Yeah. What did we think of the Russell T Davies predicting Trump will get a second term? Loved that. I think that... <laughs> That's Davis for you. I just thought, you know, it's just, it was very, it's a very bold statement. And it's just, it's kind of, it taps into that, that pessimism, which I think a lot of people feel about this sort of upcoming uh, yeah. election. And I think is, it, I think it was the right choice to make for this show, I think. It's like the, yeah. it's like the perfect counter programming to a like hope punk shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't uh, know. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call this, like folk despair, like as opposed to hope punk or. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this sequel to that Brexit movie is way better. <laughs> Although, I, 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 um, something I did uh, notice, I sort of had a bit of a spat with Neo about this, is that um, while we see the outcome of the 2020 American election, they later on allude to a general election in the UK, which we do not find out the outcome of. And it's kind of interesting to see the lines where the show is kind of willing to show kind of outcomes and where it's kind of has to stay vague in order to avoid, you know, kind of maybe alienating or dating itself. Like it's kind of interesting how when it gets to the UK, it has to kind of tiptoe around stuff. There's kind of this quite sensitive political territory there that maybe isn't there in like for like America. You had a spat over this? <laughs> <laughs> Not a spat, but you know. Could you say there's more diversity of outcome of how things in the UK might unfold, whereas in America, like we didn't hear who the Democratic nominee was that lost against Trump but Trump winning is a pretty binary thing. He'll win or he won't. Whereas this could be wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm Australian, not British, but the UK situation seems to me like there's a lot more ways it could go. With the UK, it's like, I think a lot of this sort of whole, okay, we're writing dystopian fiction about the future of the UK and stuff. A lot of this kind of hinges on the idea that, you know, things kind of won't change or things won't, things can't, won't go off in some unexpected new direction and stuff. And um, and doesn't really matter who wins or who loses the next general election. But uh, the problem with that, of course, is that actually it 
rather does matter who wins the next general election because you know a certain man with the initials JC exists, and you know British politics has sort of been put into a whole shitstorm by that fact. So it's kind of it poses quite an issue for kind of anyone trying to write about the future of politics in the UK, and they kind of if they don't kind of grapple with this kind of weird kind of quasi-socialist sort of thing that's looming up over stuff, they kind of they're kind of forced to just kind of not acknowledge it really. Yeah. You know what it is? Uh, you saying that, you just reminded me the, uh, the bit where Stephen is saying that it's like something happened and we stopped. It's, uh, yeah, it's the end of history. You know? It's neoliberalism. You cannot possibly conceive of an alternative to... Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I found that fascinating because there's... You know, there's obviously some veracity to it in terms of um, the denigration of certain aspects of society and information and media control and whatnot. But also, it's the grand makes me think of this. It's so generational. Like he's saying, we didn't used to think about politics. It used to be fine. If we go back yeah. 30 years, I don't think the grand would say that, you know, yeah. of 30 years ago when she was living through her middle age years at that time. It's very much a, when I was a child, everything seemed so simple. There were no yeah. complicated politics when I was five. Now I'm 40 and everything's so complicated. The world's going to shit. It's, it's, this, it's funny because every generation seems to go through this same kind of blinkered reality. Yeah. But for all the failures of the times Russell's predicting, I don't really think it's fair to say that time is completely broken down and society is punctured and everything's terrible and we should all be apathetic perhaps now because Trump's thrown a nuke. Like there used to be nukes. There used to be you know, crises, two nukes were detonated once. It's not all yep. new, things being bad. In um, Stephen's speech, he even mentioned that, um, oh, we made all those great paintings and wrote all those great songs and then we just stopped. So there's literally an element of like, oh, I was born in the wrong generation, guys. There used to be good yeah. music in the past. There's no more now. All modern yeah. stuff is bad. There used to be Doctor Who every year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what, what do you think happens to Doctor Who in the years and years you I kind of I kind of get the sense that Doctor Who is just sort of trucking along still being kind of shit in this timeline like I don't see it having some radical uh, overhaul maybe we should have like a bit at the end of this podcast to just share all of our um, like trite Doctor Who comparisons because I have a few <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no we, we can do it the, the one that comes to mind for me is Keith as a Cyberman and it's also uh, uh, Bethany's plot is Bells of St. John except reverse Sorry. Is there anything that a sex bot could say that would make you less horny than the words orifice open? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that whole scene. That, I had such complicated feelings about the robot because up until that part, there's so much anxiety and tension in the episode. And then the robot shows up and it's so silly looking that immediately all threat is completely deflated. And then they start having sex and in my mind I thought, oh yeah, they're probably going to make the robot join in. And then <laughs> the scene takes the turn that it does and suddenly all that weird anxiety and tension is back only a thousand times worse. And that is the sort of thing that I love Davies for, that he can just turn on a dime and have something that's horrifying and adorable and ridiculous and stupid and genius at the same time you know it's the slovene all over again i was really concerned with that orifice device because it looks so <laughs> thin and plastic and unpleasant <laughs> yeah. to use what if it had been a, a, a 
I, the whole time I was watching that, I was thinking, you know, she's kind of being judgmental. What if it had been like a flashlight or a vibrator? Or a concrete slab. Or a concrete yeah. I was kind of wondering why the orifice didn't look more sort of fleshlight-esque. It was kind of weird they just had it be like a thin plastic cylinder. Wasn't it like smooth edges? Like, I bet that there's a prop guy at the BBC who sat down, who spent a lot of nights sitting up thinking about what can I get away with in this scene? I think the other obvious Doctor Who comparison would be Turn Left or Last of the Time Lords, these kind of doomsday scenarios. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The storyteller is basically Martha, complete with the same music. The storyteller, that... Well, when I said the most <laughs> self-aware moment of the episode was the thing about Rory Kinnear's younger daughter calling out Tovey and perhaps RTD by extension, I think the least self-aware moment was when the storyteller was going on about how stories have so much power and storytellers should be revered because they're so incredible. I, I wasn't buying what the storyteller was selling. What did you guys think? I'm a storyteller. The shape of stories and the need for them. Stories help them to make sense of the world. I thought that, like, I wasn't sure what to make of it because I kind of assumed that maybe he was trying to make a point that, like, stories can't save us, which I was hoping that that would be the angle that they were going with because that's, like, not usually the kind of thing you see in a drama like this, specifically by a writer like Davies. I can see that. But um, I, I guess you kind of have to see how it'll develop over the next five episodes before I can fully judge. It's too early to judge. <laughs> I bet that the finale, the finale is going to have some post-apocalyptic scenario and then this, the, you know, everyone gathered around a fire and a storyteller, whether that specific one or someone else telling the story of the last 30 years or whatever. <laughs> it felt like such a seeded thing to me. Yeah, I feel like that is one of the two possible outcomes of this whole thing. What's the other one? Remember that scene where he's holding the baby and thinking about what it's going to be like in the future? Oh, yeah. no. You could just be thinking about this. It'll, if he dies in a future episode, we'll know that that's not what's happening. Oh, so you're saying it could all be in his imagination, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Davies wouldn't... I, on, on one level, I think Davies wouldn't do that, but then I remember Last of the Time Lords. <laughs> you should never do that. And to be fair, resetting, resetting time is not the same as saying it was all a dream, okay? I mean, if it was Moffat, it might be all a simulation, maybe. He's done that before, yeah. so... Yeah. In terms of Doctor Who comparisons, I think specifically to Series 11, what's interesting is how it's similar and how it's different. And visually, um, you can kind of say it's similar because it's using the same Netflix uh, two by one aspect ratio. You see how we've got the black bars at the top and the bottom, making it a little more cinematic. But musically, this ain't Sagan. This is Marigold. Marigold is back. What do we think of his music in the episode? last two minutes and 41 seconds of the episode having the same insistent drum beat going throughout. I was fascinated by that because when we had the double kicks going do, 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 and you know like the chanting voices and very like heavy kind of music it reminded me of something Tom Tit brought up uh, when we were discussing Resolution about the punk music that a certain Hooser was listening to after Twice Upon a Time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I kind of love the score of this. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but it seemed like yeah, Marigold. It. Marigold is kind of 
still he's picking up on all the musical ideas he developed in the Capaldi era, like those um, hmm. sort of acoustic guitar stabs that he used a lot, and like sort of dizzying arpeggios, which you can kind of hear in like the start of Into the Dalek sort of thing. Yeah. The date of the general election has been announced as Thursday, May the fifth. I will be standing. Yes, it's about time. The birthday montage sequence. I was loving the arpeggios in that. Like the the the. Uh, you can't. You almost can't even call it a theme. It's like a sting at the very beginning. It sounded like kind of like clown, like clown world sort of music, you know? This weird, mm. weird carnival vibe. I love what he's doing with the sort of the choirs in this. I think yeah. it kind of reminds me of Cucumber a bit. There was something similar there, but it was more gospel-like with Cucumber. Whereas this one, it's a bit more like sort of a choir of children, kind of that sort of, I do, I do like that creepy vibe. And did you, did you guys watch the next time teaser at the end? Because that had this super moody, eerie, ambient version of it, which I thought was like, oh my God, yeah. wow. Did you know you can live forever? Amazing. And I had a conga line. The copy I have ended with the, um, you know, next up on BBC things. And uh, one of those funny moments of things lining up in weird ways. On one side of the screen, they're talking about, uh, as part of Mental Health Awareness Week, we're showing the incredible PTSD, the war in my head. And on the other side of the screen, there's this chanting, pounding, screaming music uh, <laughs> as the world is entering World War Three. So that was beautiful. There's one thing of the episode that I think bears some discussion. So when the general, the general from Hellbent, I mean, Rory Kinnear's wife, is going through uh, her daughter's internet history and she finds all this stuff and none, none of it says the word transgender, but it all has trans, 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 and it's like living as a trans teen person, you know, trans this. None of it specifies transhuman. So it's obviously a bait and switch to the parents and to the audience that we all think their child's going to be transgender. And they aren't, because when we get the conversation, she says, well, she doesn't say she's not transgender. She says she's not transsexual. If it turns out that we've got a... A lovely son instead of a lovely daughter, then all will be happy. I'm not transsexual. I'm transhuman. Sure, we, we say gender now, don't we? I'm sorry. What, what did you think of that? Oh, you know what? This is an excellent discussion for four ish ish guys <laughs> to be having. I, I, I would love to get some perspectives on this that aren't just my own. I don't know how trans people are taking it, but I've seen some um. I've seen some, maybe some reservations about it expressed over at the um, Eruditorum Discord. Yeah, I not surprised. I've seen. I I I know two people that were probably going to watch the show and um, aren't doing it because of the, that line in the trailer. They were so turned off by the transsexual thing. Like Lydia, who's who plays the daughter Bethany, who's this is her first television job, I think, and she's astonishing. She's absolutely amazing. And I know some people are saying it might have been, you know, to make a point about you know, outdated language and stuff like that. But it reads so oddly to me because it's the teenager that's saying the outdated term. And then the parents are saying, we thought it was transgender. The whole thing reads very oddly to me. I can't find a way into that, why that term would be used instead. And then just things like, like the teen is literally talking about having her body completely medically destroyed in Switzerland. That just, 
reads really poorly to me when we're drawing yeah. a straight line between yeah. being transgender and being transhuman. And then the mum saying, we're cutting off internet access so you don't read this shit. I was just like, this is obviously drawing a line to real things we're in a way that feels... Net here. Yeah. It's turfy. And I guess because, like, Russell, as a writer, he doesn't normally sort of twist, like, the way people naturally speak for the sake of a reveal. That's more of, like, Moffat's yeah. purview, which is... Aside from the actual, like, textual weirdness of it, I think that's part of why it seems so clunky because it seemed like Russell sort of going a bit beyond his reach of, or beyond his strengths, I should say. It was more Cassandra than Alonzo Frame. Yeah. This whole thing of, like, taking sort of a sci-fi concept and using it to sort of drawing a line between it and something from real life. So, you know, like Zygons as immigrants, for example. That's, I mean, yeah. it's, I think it's riddled with problems in the same way. Because, you know, something, you know, if you, okay, we're going to recycle your body and put you into the cloud. Oh, well, actually, well, it's a parallel between that and being transgender, right? And actually, well, no, it isn't. It's really something yeah. very different. This is something you've made up, right? And it's got all those, it's got all its own nuances. It's like making the X-Men black people. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it's just, it's such a, like, it's such a tricky, like, tightrope to walk. And I think you have to be very responsible and careful with doing it, if you, if you do it at all. And, you know, I've, I've got some concerns about where it might be going. Even if it's going in an ultimately, like, positive direction, I'm just like, hmm. What even is a positive direction for this <laughs> take? <laughs> I mean, good question. Good question. It, this is this is very concerning. I noticed some possi- a possible somewhere it might be going. Um, I noticed very briefly um, one of uh, I think one of Rosie's kids, the sort of the little uh, white kid, was on his phone and he was using this sort of dog Snapchat filter on his phone. I kind of wondered if is that meant to sort of like seed in our heads that he's gonna have. Um, he was sat with Bethany in the in the um, grandma's front room earlier. Uh, later on, <laughs> God, this is, I'm explaining this very badly. And I'm wondering, is there going to be some sort of plot line where she, um, the sort of transhuman uh, girl, starts spreading sort of her desire to be transhuman to the other kids? And that's like that's. Oh, you're talking about rapid onset uh, human. Yeah, ex- that that was my that was my concern, right? That is such a yikes for me if it goes in oh that direction. Oh my god! Like, Jesus Christ! Oh my god! Yeah, in the trailers, you've got oh, do you know you can live forever? I'm like, what is? What are we doing this? I hope the series in general doesn't move so much towards any sort of sci-fi element because I think what I yeah. really liked in this was like the Dude, family. We are well beyond that already. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like showing showing the US like launching nuclear missiles at China, that's not science fiction. Like, it's dystopia, but it's not mm-hmm. strictly sci-fi. So, I mean, like, I hope it goes more in that direction and, like, how it deals with the way the family treats each other at the, at the prospect of the end of the world. That's the stuff which I thought was, like, really effective and which I hope they continue to develop as opposed to, like, the technology stuff. Because, I mean, we have Black Mirror, you know? I mean, I'm surprised we've gone this yeah. without mentioning Black Mirror, but, yeah. Are you worried about the kind of Black Mirror effect of something you predict coming true? Well, I kind of love the Black Mirror effect because that's one of the best shows in the world. Sure. Anything that shines on us is very nice, but... Well, the uh, Torchwood Children of Earth is what I think more because that's another Russell series that's sci-fi, kind of apocalyptic, at least for a little while. Certainly in episode five when the police are taking the kids and everything. If he if he keeps yeah, the tone well, like that, I think it'll all be fine. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm expecting more sci-fi as we go further on. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, Doctor Who equivalent of this, all I can think is that this is pretty much his. This is like his new Torchwood miniseries. You know, this is Torchwood series 
six only instead of being about yeah. or I guess five only instead of being about Torchwood it's about this family which Torchwood kind of was by the end if we were going to get any universe shout out I would have thought it would be Trinity Wells the newsreader from his era in one of the news <laughs> montage sequences yeah I have expected that too or you could have just gone ahead and made these guys like um, instead of the lions they could have been the Daniels family of Southampton or <laughs> Huh. You know, just a little trace. Oh, Nine's constant companion. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have in my notes here, how upset must RTD be that Doctor Who was such a big hit that he can't call characters Rose or Tyler anymore, like he used to love to. Well, he got Rosie in. Rosie's the uh, the cook. Oh, you're right. Sibling. Rosie was my favorite family member. I really liked her, yeah. Uh, which one was she? Uh, she was a chef manager who was uh, using the wheelchair. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Oh, should we talk about just, like, who our favourite characters were or who we yeah. think yeah. the yeah, interesting sure. ones are? Um, I really like the budding rivalry between the General and the Gran. I think that's sort of fascinating. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's developed, it's it's so, like, it's not foregrounded at all, but it's still so, uh, feels real. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. There's definitely a history of enmity there, isn't there? And I wonder if maybe racism has something to do with it, because we saw the Grand making that extremely inappropriate comment about the uh, sort of um, about Lynn at the yeah. end. So uh, help me out here. Like when I saw that, that's when I first thought of like uh, the Blitz. I was like, oh yeah, that's that Blitz spirit. Let's make a joke about how we're probably not going to die. And I thought, wait, would she be old enough to remember that? Well, she turned She's ninety in twenty twenty. Two, I think. Yeah, she should have been alive during it. I remember they said Vivian Rook was born in 1964, so she'd be uh, early mid 50s, late 50s by 2024. Yes, we haven't talked about Viv at all, have we? The episode barely does. I'm interested. Is she? Are, are we never going to get scenes of her like on her own? Is she going to be filtered purely through the TV and how the family experiences are? Because I'm kind of getting that vibe. Although that might just be a first episode thing. I kind of hope they go that way, but. I could see them doing, like, a Viv episode. Yeah, and I'm struggling to imagine how they're going to get her, like, with the family in a way that isn't contrived. Maybe Jessica Hines' activist character, Edith, maybe? Somebody could try to assassinate her. I think the bigger that, I think the, the bigger that Viv gets, because I think, I imagine it's not unrealistic to think that she might become Prime Minister at some point later in the series. I think, you know, the more, the more powerful she gets, the more that she's inevitably going to intersect with what's happening to the family, even if they don't actually meet in person, or maybe they go to one of her rallies or something like that. Like, I don't expect like a Viv-focused episode, but like, she's going to end up being you know, quite important, like one way or the other. In the sequence at the end with the Tovey sex and the burning, the camp and all that, the billboard of Vivian kept getting kind of uh, cut to like closer on the zoom yeah. each time to kind of foreground the connection between dark and divided times and politicians like her. So I'm sure she'll succeed as she goes forward. Did you notice when she's talking about the fake news media, she's doing the Trump hand motions? Yes, I did notice that. It was a little bit more Colbert than Trump, but it was pretty clear still. There was something weirdly like culture shock for me, sort of seeing how those all that kind of 
those things are so American, like not just the hand gestures, but even just like the rhetoric, like the fake news media, like that's that's a Trump kind of statement. You don't really, I wouldn't, I don't think you get a British politician saying those that kind of language quite as much, because like, I mean, you know, not least because yeah, an exact quote that was unusual. Yeah, not least because over here, I mean, the media like absolutely you know loves you know, fascist goons. So, mm-hmm. so another Doctor Who comparison. I almost hate myself for making them because like it's it's like all I can bring to this. <laughs> it's the lowest denominator yeah. of discussion, Doctor Who equivalents. But we have like a blonde woman, um, working class accent. Uh, you can almost imagine 13 saying, um, honestly, I don't give a fuck about Kablam on the workers right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in a pop- populist sort of vein, I thought. That's maybe a bit harsh, but I do That's... see where you're coming from. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I did think that, like, Emma Thompson has already brought, like, a lot. Would have been a great 13. <laughs> well, true, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> given that she has very little to do in this, she's already brought, like, a lot to the part, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens when you cut- well, this is the ch- approach, really, it's- you can write whatever, it can be as terrible as you want, look at broad but if you cast great actors, it'll sing, it'll look excellent, people yeah. will think it's fantastically written. Another show co-produced, or might be fully produced by HBO, is experiencing that similar kind of thing right now where the aesthetics can all be done very well and if you hire great actors, any tribe you write will seem like a great line. Any dialogue at all will seem fantastic. On the other hand, it seems like there is an upper limit on that. Yeah, well, not everyone's Emma Thompson. There's a finite amount of them in the the world. Which brings me to a topic that I feel like you're trying to steer us towards, but at the same time trying to steer us away from. What parts didn't you like? I I found the... I, I, you can probably call it maybe dystopia porn. History and society seems to be mad at the moment. It seems to be quite a fevered time. So it's trying to capture that. It's trying to guess where we're going. I find it a little. Mm, it's like when we get, many. yeah, when when we get these well-off characters, like we talked about earlier, groaning about how the world's been punctured and no great art is made anymore. Maybe that's a comment on Chibnall as well. Anyway. It, it, it just, it feels very, uh, it's like there's an enjoyment, you know, there's a reason people love post-apocalyptic stuff and there's a reason there are so many survivalists and there's a reason people love Fallout and Metro and all that kind of thing. Uh, it's a little larpy to me to like have these huge epic sequences, oh, the, the world's falling apart. I guess the whole series is kind of built off that. I just, I hope it won't feel indulgent. As it goes forward, because some I was getting a little bit of that vibe towards the end sequence, at least. I felt yeah. between all the different times we hear characters going on about how, like, oh, well, you know, until a few years ago, it was all fine. You know, things used to make sense. Of, oh, the left was the left and the right was the right. Although, obviously, that's said by Emma Thompson's character, who might be you know, the bad guy. But then later on, you get other characters who were like, oh, you know, nothing makes sense anymore. The world's going backwards and our brains are devolving and all that stuff. And all that, that, that weirdly kind of slightly almost eugenicist sake of like how all oh, mankind is devolving and stuff like that. I feel like that all falls into this category of like... Um, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to sound, you know, like I, like I like Trump tweets here, but like it all sounds a bit liberal in that sense of sort of not having much of like a material grounding in like what's really happening in the world, but existing kind of this bubble of privilege almost and mm. just kind of like lamenting kind of the popping of that bubble 
rather than actually you know, expressing like a, a a realistic kind of characterization of what's going on in the world. And I wonder, I, I mean, you know, it might be that the show is not as invested. And they're also disdainful of Edith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sort of they went about Edith a bit. I think it might be that Edith emerges as more of like the the most heroic figure, maybe as the yeah. series goes on. Oh, that for might sure. be interesting. Yeah. When you speak about bubbles being popped, it reminds me of the character Toby is having sex with towards the end is the little boy from Mr. Bean's Holiday. Wow, what a wonderful... What the actual fuck? (laughs) Man, that whole plot is one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, there's your characteristic RTD character making the stupidest possible decision they can. Well, it felt more like a Tarantino character to me. And you also are a... A foot fan, yeah. Yeah, that too. I didn't know this about RTD, that he's into that. He's a foot fan. <laughs> all right. I have to say obsession, uh, all right? Compulsion? I don't have... Uh, I, Fetish? I, I have... Uh, I have... I'm... I like them. I mean, we've already known that RTD was a foot fan since, you know, he's crossing on Russell Tovey. I mean, look at the guy's head. But um, <laughs> I think... Nice. I, I think the, the it was interesting how eager Russell Tovey's character was to just go into that foot massage for that guy who's just yeah. met. It's like, yeah. yeah, something was going wrong in this guy's marriage well before any of this. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel seems to be incapable of recognizing when he's getting played. He has yeah. no ability to judge people. I mean, that's probably why he's so shocked to find out that his husband, who he's been married to for at least a year at that point, or like two or three years, uh, is a flat earther. Did you guys, um, what did you guys think of that bit where the husband was like sort of washing his um, feces contaminated hands in the shower? I feel like that was symbolic, but you know, what's like, what's it, what's it serving in the episode? It's very interesting. I think it's just one of Russell's like delightful, like weird personal details rather than an allegory. Yeah, yeah. it's domesticity. It's like how does how does he think of something so like banal but just fascinating <laughs> as well? And it made me think like, what would I do if I was in the shower and someone tried to wash their shitty hands? You know, it was thought provoking. They aren't shitty. <laughs> But on the subject of things we didn't like, I thought it was kind of an interesting choice to leave all the exposition about China and the US to Jessica Hines at the end. Because on the one hand, I can understand it on a storytelling level because she's the only character who actually cares. So it makes sense that all that information would be withheld from us, like, because everyone's so apathetic and kind of disconnected and disillusioned. But like on a dramatic level, it would have worked if RTD was better at exposition but he's not the best at it, so it kind of felt like a lull in what should have been a really exciting scene. In the writer's tale, Russell has that section where he flat out says he likes not using exposition because it's this revolutionary, brand new form of storytelling when he's trying to justify the paradox machine and last of the Time Lords or something to Benjamin Cook, and he's saying how not using foreshadowing is this really modern, daring technique. It's like, ugh. Is it? Um, the way I see it, like it's either this or lots of like newsreel sequences of lots of different newsreaders telling us what's happening <laughs> with yeah. RTD. You've yeah, got a I bit mean, of that, was, but like it was kind yeah. of obvious from the start what was going to happen. But yeah, we, we we were sort of getting medium of both worlds. Yeah, I, I I mock I mock his approach to that kind of thing, but I actually didn't have a problem with it in this show in this episode because mm-hmm. this is how characters in the liberal bubble like gig said see news like that they'll hear little glimpses of it like we did but they're not really thinking about it or passing what's actually going on yeah until I mean, like, it affects them very directly at on the a end. story level i liked it but on a drama level i thought it could have been more deftly executed basically 
And um, oh, you brought up the writer's tale. That's just reminded me that because Russell is so anti dream sequences, that means we're probably not going to get uh, Mirrors' theory about it. <laughs> All being oh, changed. yeah. So we can be thankful for that. We can count our blessings there. Didn't he tell his husband that uh, years and years was rubbish? Maybe that's why. I mean, his, his husband was dying, so. Yeah, yes. yeah. depressing, though. So. <laughs> just, yeah. Again, I, I keep dra- dragging us into the most. I've got another depressing thing to say later on. Okay. I know a happy thing to say to break it up in the middle, in that for all of for all of Russell's hatred of dream sequences, we see he still has his friendship with Moffat very well sustained, and it's because RTD as an atheist doesn't watch the Christmas specials, so we never saw Last Christmas. Interesting that the characters in this have sort of an alternative festival to Christmas. Like they skip Christmas because they do this thing on their uh, Muriel's birthday instead. So that's that tradition of atheism running through this show as well. It's RTD's militant atheism. Remember, he brought the Daleks back as what did he bring him back as again? <laughs> Religious Daleks. <laughs> Not just that, uh, half human. That's actually a good point about the their festivals taking over Christmas, and there's also. Not even an atheist or a secular, but like a weird pagan thing going on with it. Yeah, the, the, the winter fire. feast. There, yeah, and then the the fire aspect and yeah the scene in the in the next time on where they're dancing around it this actually might be our key into understanding the transsexual thing i think we might be misinterpreting the line it's not winter feast it's winter feast oh god mm, i thought i was the depressing one. Oh, something just a little detail that i'm um, kind of um they, they they mentioned that viv vivian rook she's she's part of the jjc think tank and i'm just i'm just fascinated by that detail like what does jjc stand for jeremy <laughs> you'll be like i don't know corbin christ <laughs> jettison jeremy corbin <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to him she jettisoned him all. <laughs> Um, I, oh yeah, you, you believe he's dead in this timeline, don't you, Neo? <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely think it's what makes the most sense to me, given the complete lack of anything eventuating there. And that he, he might not have got jettisoned off the planet, but that he um, died of a very natural heart attack or something. I mean, you know, Viv does say in the in the episode that Labour is dead. Maybe she meant that literally. <laughs> After the gas attack, Labour is dead, and the Tories are basically dead. <laughs> Well, my observation's stupid, so I'll make it quick. Don't you think that Vivian Rook is a very, like, villainy villain sort of name? Like, she might as well be yeah. called Villainous Crook or something like that. Yeah. Like George Lucas uh, school of naming characters. Darth Icky. She's named after a chess piece. So, I mean, what else do you need to know? <laughs> you were waiting the whole episode. That weren't you, Mira. I've been, I've been waiting for a, a better point, but I couldn't think of one so i just went for it now there's um i'm wondering if like so this show hits america in about a month yes no june 24th right so i'm wondering if it's going to just come and go without a trace and like no one will probably yeah because it seems like russell's not really trying to grab the american audience with this well, I'd, I'd been arguing with Gig that the Americans would like it, but I just heard an actual American say they probably won't. So forget all that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like it must come off quite weirdly to Americans. I mean, the whole, like, being so forthright about, okay, Trump's going to win and he's going to nuke uh, this and stuff is going to happen. It's like, and also it's so, it feels so British. And I know Americans kind of love British, British stuff, but yeah. yeah, I just, I wonder how it's going to play on HBO, which is doing stuff like, you know, Chernobyl at the moment. Like, it's such a disparity in terms of t- style and tone. It's British, but it's not. It's not sort of like a marketable British, like, it's not, 
Yeah, mm. Gran. That's she a way to put it. she um she she does the whole like stiff upper upper lip like make the tea while the world is ending thing, but it's not presented as like straightforward or cheerful. It's very sort of barbed and cutting. Yeah. It's not much of a costume drama either, so can't sell it on PB yet. Tonally, it felt very appropriate for Australians at least this week. Yeah, I mean, it's been like raining. It's there's like a thunderstorm all day, and we're just off the back of like a profoundly disappointing election so i can't think of a better time to, to talk about years and years yeah. honestly <laughs> yeah. yeah this is the sort of show that americans would remake you know if if it's gonna make it big here it's gonna be as a remake that's it's a really good point movie. like grace point to Broadchurch. yeah <laughs> yeah even like the title of the title of this thing years and years it's like a completely genreless title like you hear that and you think this show could be absolutely anything. Like, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad title. It's just completely like unmarketable, you know? And it doesn't have like a snappy one-line pitch either. So yeah, I think this is probably yeah. going to be forgotten, sadly. A lot of ITD shows have titles that are really hard for search engines and stuff. Like A Very English Scandal, Cucumber, Bob and Rose. Like these aren't catchy titles. Oh God, Bob and Rose is hard to look up, yeah. And in a the opposite way, Doctor Who. Well, Dark Season sounds like it's describing a certain season of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. One more little thing. Um, I feel like the the kid being um, born of a Chinese father is being used as some sort of weird symbolism to do with the rise of China. Like, I felt that was very... There's something going on there which with mm, RTD. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of that yet. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of stuff in here that feels like it's... I'm not sure if it's supposed to be symbolic. Like that. Like the let's call it the trans thing in my notes i just have it as the trans thing especially with the existing connections between transhumanists and uh trans people and then all this weird stuff with washing hands and washing feet and i don't know what's going on i it might be nothing but then again sometimes he likes to throw in all this weird well, I mean, like, remember how he literally turns the doctor into Jesus several times. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's, he's very much fond of, uh, going for the iconography. Speaking of iconography, we haven't talked about visuals at all. I just want to note that, sh- that bit near the end where we see Edith alone on the shore in the dark, lit up by the screen of her, um, thing, like, that, that, that was great image. And yeah. I love the signal on her feed cutting out as the, the nuke is about to hit. That was a very cool moment, like, visually. The two mm-hmm. shots I thought were really good in the episode was that one uh, zooming down to Edith, like you said, and also the one of Bethany, the transhuman daughter, when we kind of go along to her side and we can see the filter and her real see. face in tandem. That was good. Mm. I watched this in, like, 480p, whatever, so... Like I'm gonna have to do a visual-oriented rewatch sometime soon because I don't. No one cares about this show enough to upload it to like piracy websites. If you wanted to go that route, you know. <laughs> My favorite single shot in the whole episode. It's not any of the fancy ones. It's when she's explaining that the guy was having sex with Keith the robot uh, to her uh, siblings. There's a one-second insert shot of. The robots are moving, and it's yeah. Hello, Tony. (laughs) Oh man, 
I liked how that sequence was shot with the siblings talking to each other all in their separate rooms in their houses, but just kind of the way it was cutting to them, it felt like they were in the same place, like how it was edited. Yeah. That was really nicely done, I thought. Just a little non-flashy uh, way to direct it, but I thought it worked really well. little nod to Ryan Johnson and the um, Ray Kylo for Skype calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a general note, isn't it amazing how, like, on the back of Chibnall, you watch this and Russell just so casually incorporates, like, little resentments and, like, people being patronising to each other in ways that is so subtle that, like, you almost don't notice them. Conflict. Yeah, exactly. It's like that Character, on a, on a personality. insane level. It's like this ecosystem of Challenge. characters who know each other and it's just, like, you take it for granted because Russell just does it so effortlessly that it was extremely refreshing. Yeah, every single yeah. character feels incredibly distinct. Like, that is a family. That is a range of really well-developed characters. Yeah. They're all memorable. They're all distinct. You, they all have, like, a personality. They it's don't so get well done. There's little fun. clicks inside yeah. the family. It really feels like an actual family. First shot of Davies is Doctor Who. <laughs> first shot of Rose is, like, a view of the world from the sky. And the first shot of this is um, Viv staring down the barrel of the lens saying, I don't understand the world. So there you go. That's an interesting little mm. Doctor Who parallel there. Oh, so my depressing thing, uh, my last depressing thing that's not here. Uh, this episode is um, uh, Lee, the uh, older son. His experience of World War Three starting is almost exactly my experience of the Oklahoma City bombing. I was at my grandparents' house. I was looking for cartoons. And as I came across the news, uh, everybody suddenly started acting very excited and concerned about what was going on. So this episode had like a weird, almost reaching into my head and pulling a memory out of my mind and putting it on screen. It was very alienating, but in a good way, I guess. Yeah, it's all That's like- fascinating. Well, a- when you say reaching a memory out of your head and putting it onto the screen, I guess we're kind of endorsing what Bethany was talking about. Yeah, could you imagine that? Somehow being able to recreate people's minds and personalities inside of a computer simulation? What a weird idea. Guys, what if you could put a human in a computer and then put a computer in another human? Black Mirror Season 5 coming to Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys seen that uh, real world headline from March of last year where it starts out like it's from the technology review. It starts out like a normal, just cheerful headline. It's like a startup is pitching pitching a mind uploading service that is, quote, 100 percent fatal. (laughs) (laughs) I have to. Oh, yeah. Also, um. I don't know if, if this is like something I missed, but what's the deal with the like the dad of the family? Is he going to appear? Do you think he's gotta? Yeah, if this is an Aaron to yeah. Ryan scenario. Will it <laughs> will it be like a surprising actor or just an unsurprising actor? Hmm. Hmm. I, it could be tennis. I don't think it's out of the poss- I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he doesn't appear. Like if they've cut him out of their life that completely, that like, maybe that's it. You know, he's off with Jacqueline. You know, he's abandoned their mum who is dead or whatever. Oh whatever happened with them. Like maybe we just don't see him. What like, if that's the possibility? What if we're in the other universe and it's yes, yes, Meta Ten? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> 
with Jackie. Oh my god.